Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Well, this week, Mike is off. Uh, He is in Bend, seeing the band Bon Iver play with some friends, which uh, I'm a little jealous of. Sounds fun. Uh, But last week, Mike shared that for this upcoming few weeks, we're going to be talking about the question, why be Christian? After so many of us have gone through a process of deconstructing uh, our inherited Christianity, which was in so many cases based on biblical inerrancy, divine wrath, and exclusion in Jesus' name. After we've deconstructed those ideas, people often find themselves asking, well, then why should I be Christian? This important question comes from a place that's much deeper than just cynicism. It's an honest question. And I think that in order to answer this question we're holding together, why be Christian, we need to be clear that thoughtful, intelligent, deeply moral people, for very good reason, have reached the answer, I can't be Christian. I can't anymore. Given the history of Western Christendom, its past and its present expressions of violence, racism, misogyny, homophobia, patriarchy, given the personal harm that has been done to many of our lives, given the political atmosphere of American Christianity today, people are walking away. And as we answer this question, why be Christian, our intention isn't to minimize the problems, nor is it to shame people who have decided they can't be Christian. In fact, I would guess that many, if not most of us here today, have seriously asked ourselves in the past, if not present, should I stay Christian? Should I even do this anymore? One of my least favorite questions in the whole world is when I'm sitting and getting my hair cut and someone asks, well, so what do you do for a living? (laughs) 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 Well... (laughs) Telling people that I'm a pastor conjures up all kinds of ideas about who I am and, and what I must believe and who I, what I do in the world that really have nothing to do with me. So my strategy these days is to make sure I mention my husband within one sentence. So I'm a pastor and my husband is a therapist. Husband. If, you know, so that I must not be whatever you're thinking of. Saying I'm a pastor means I'm a Christian. And I think a lot of us have had this feeling that, you know, saying we're a Christian, unfortunately, in America in 2023 can mean a lot of different things. And many of those things are violent and patriarchal and white supremacist and homophobic. But I still can't shake the belief that this ancient wisdom of Jesus, That the way of Jesus, which shows us the heart of the divine and the worth of every person, I can't shake the idea that this is deeply beautiful and needed in the world today. 
And so in this series, we want to explore some of that goodness and beauty and truth that's worth holding on to. Over the years, I've had many conversations at Pearl with people who are redefining for themselves what it means to be Christian. And one of the words that keeps popping up in these conversations is disoriented. I feel disoriented. Everything used to be really clear. It was black and white. I knew what was good and what was bad. And now everything is topsy-turvy. It's so disorienting. I suspect that only part of this disorientation comes from a change in doctrine. A lot of our disorientation comes, rather, from the loss of cultural structures, these shared experiences and practices that tell us who we are and where we are. Many of us grew up ensconced in a Christian culture that gave us a lot of structure, right? Here's how you understand being human. Here you go. Or here's how you make friends. Here's how you raise your kids. Here's how you contribute to the needs of the world. There was all this structure. And a lot of those answers have stopped working for us because they represent values or beliefs that we no longer agree with. But when the old cultural system comes crashing down, what we're left with is doing a lot of work constantly. For example, it's one thing to say, as I've heard many of our parents here say, I don't want to raise my kids the way I was raised. I want to raise them really knowing God as love without using fear or shame to manipulate or control them. Okay, so it's one thing to have that good and beautiful intention, and then it's a completely different matter to decide, okay, well then how am I going to raise them? What does that look like? Where are the guideposts? Just yesterday, I was talking with a parent who was telling me, it's like I'm having to make up this whole thing from scratch. There are no models. I think that's kind of what we're feeling across the board in so many areas of our lives. Like, we've lost the guideposts. And even though we didn't like where the old cultural guideposts took us, still it's disorienting to be without them. And we can't live in that disorientation forever. It's too exhausting. At some point, you need structures that hold you. Otherwise, you end up with just decision fatigue. This is a point that the writer James Clear makes in his book, Atomic Habits, which is a great book if you haven't read it. We tend to think that when we want to live out a value, then the work that we have to do is to choose that value over and over again. So for example, I want to be healthy, so I'm going to go to the gym today, and today, and today. And if you've done this like me, then by the fourth today, you're like, well, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Clear explains that it's not constant choices, it's structures that set us up for living up our values. He writes, when scientists analyze people who appear to have tremendous self-control, it turns out those individuals aren't all that different from people who are struggling. Disciplined people are just better at structuring their lives in a way that doesn't require heroic willpower and self-control. If we constantly have to decide how we're going to live out our values, then we are going to feel disoriented and exhausted. But Good structures can help us to live out our values almost automatically. They're kind of just set up for us, which is why I think one of the reasons that we can be Christian is that we need good rhythms. Rhythms. 
Rhythms are patterns of life that we habitually engage that help us to embody our desires to live in the world in good and wise ways. Rhythms keep orienting us toward our desired outcome for life, a life of of loving, peaceful participation in God's creative goodness. Our reading this morning from Acts 2 describes a community that has robust rhythms. We read, All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. They praised God and had goodwill from all the people. Time together. Shared meals, Eucharist, worship, generosity, gratitude. These were communal rhythms that provided structures of meaning, belonging, and creative love. Or, as we call them at Pearl, sacred story, common table, and divine love. In the centuries following the early church, as communities of devoted Christians formed, so too did this idea called a rule of life. A rule of life expressed a shared commitment to practices, habits, and ways of being together. Now, that word rule, rule of life, that can sound really punitive or crushing to us, but the Latin word that was used here was regula, uh, which again, you know, regulation, that doesn't sound much better, but the word originally referred not to rules or restrictions. Regula meant a trellis. It was a regular structure that allowed plants to grow upward, right? So you see a trellis with a vine growing up. It was a structure with regularity to provide a plant the chance to grow to its potential. It enables its full expression. And that's what rhythms, particularly communal rhythms, do for us. When a community commits to embodying its values in particular, regular ways, that provides a structure that holds us firm to flourishing, even when we don't feel like it, even when it's hard. Now, of course, structures and rhythms can become limiting, and they can dry out, they can become lifeless, or we can realize that our cultural practices are embodying values that we don't hold anymore. So we do need periodically to ask, does this practice or this habit or this rhythm really embody the way of Jesus, the heart of the divine for us today? Every now and again, that question gets louder and bolder, and more prominent, and kind of more widespread. Uh, the late Episcopal writer Phyllis Tickle talked about this as a, every 500 years or so, the church holds a massive rummage sale, and it kind of goes through all of its boxes, and it pulls out its doctrines, and it practices and rhythms, and asks really foundational questions about the nature of following Jesus. The last major rummage sale, if you will, or upheaval, was the Reformation, and we are right on schedule with a new period of rummaging through our history and asking, what is this whole thing about following Jesus really about? Now, that's a hard place to live. It's disorienting for all the reasons we've mentioned. Because we are now having to think about things that people have just taken for granted for the last 500 years. And now it's all up for grabs again. But the goal for us isn't to live in the deconstruction, just stay there, deconstruct, 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 deconstruct. The goal, rather, is to reconstruct rhythms that are going to embody the way of Jesus for our age. 
that provide us new structure and that hold us in wise ways. And so our work, more than just reconstructing Christian faith or belief, is to reconstruct Christian rhythms. We talk frequently here at Pearl about our central rhythm, sacred story, common table, divine love. Each, I think, points to a core need, meaning, belonging, and creative expression of love. And we can weave each of these rhythms into our own personal trellis with built-in practices that hold us close to our values. So sacred story, we'll start there. When we talk about sacred story, we are, of course, not just talking about reading the Bible. Uh, We're talking about all of those practices and habits that help us to find meaning by situating us in the context of a good and beautiful story. In our passage from Deuteronomy today, we heard the ancient call to keep our awareness full of the goodness of God by building rhythms of mindful attention in whatever we do. And yeah, that can mean reading the Bible, and it can mean thinking about what this story of the Bible means, but there are lots of ways to find ourselves within the sacred story. Communally, this weekly service that we do, this is a sacred story told in miniature. There's welcome, invitation, there's pondering, there's worship, and always at the center, a table of belonging that narrates our lives. Also, the church calendar that we follow together as a community holds us in the sacred story as we ponder the life of Jesus through Advent, Lent, Epiphany, Good Friday, Eastertide, Ascension, Pentecost. And then each year, as we cycle this this calendar over and over again, we ponder, where does the story speak to us today? How is this inviting us into the way of Jesus now? But there are lots of ways, lots of ways to to create rhythms of sacred stories. And I think the question here for us individually is, what regular rhythms help me experience, not just think, but experience that I'm in a world where creative love is the deepest reality? That's the world I live in. For some of us, therapy or spiritual direction is a wonderful sacred story practice uh, because these both involve re-narrating, retelling, coming to terms with, renaming our experience, and putting it in a new context, retelling our story. I think that rest and Sabbath are a wonderful, beautiful sacred story practice because they tell you you're safe enough You're safe enough in divine love that you don't have to crank all the time. Another one is delighting in nature. For for many of us, getting out on a trail is where we most deeply experience that we live in a world full of creative love. Uh, For me, one of them is baking bread. I love baking bread. I love the magic of this like mass of flour and water taking on life through the yeast and just rising and becoming this beautiful thing that I will eat so quickly. It's so tasty. And I think, you know, it tells me I'm in, a, I'm in this world where these miraculous, beautiful things are possible. There's so many ways to find yourself in this sacred story. Whatever practices help you inhabit a world of divine love. Just as sacred story is a rhythm that holds on to meaning, common table is a rhythm that helps us engage belonging. One of our most central practices of common table together here at Pearl is Eucharist, week in, week out. It is the high point of our weekly service where we embody belonging 
in the divine community as each one of us comes forward to share in this symbolic meal. This practice is a way of marking every week of our lives with the constant refrain, you belong, you belong, you belong. Similarly at Pearl, our communal home groups are an important expression of common table. Uh, Meeting in homes throughout the week, we gather and take time to hear each other's stories, to share our experiences, and to make room for belonging together. It's a great way to build this rhythm into your life. But again, there are so many ways we can decide to build a rhythm of common table into our lives. Having friends over for dinner, hospitality, listening to someone who's telling a story. But one thing I've been dreaming about recently uh, is we hit moments of transition all the time, don't we? There's always moments of change. We could call them liminal moments. Liminal means in between. You're no longer in one place, but you're not quite arrived at the next place. Something has been, but isn't any longer. But whatever's coming into being hasn't quite come. Sometimes it's a loss that initiates this transition. Sometimes a long-hoped-for dream can initiate this transition. Sometimes it's not clear what is happening. You just know the ground is shifting under your feet, and you're not sure why. I dream about our community holding these liminal experiences together. Imagine standing alongside each other. Maybe we use a, a written liturgy that marks a moment. Maybe we have in our home group a moment of silence just to hold the mystery of whatever's happening. Or maybe we celebrate something together with a party. It tells us we're not alone. And and not just the traditional, you know, the weddings and the funerals and baptisms that we normally mark, but why not name and hold together adopting a pet, Uh, you know, uh, honoring our chosen pronouns, coming out, leaving a job, or starting a job, moving away or moving into a new home, getting your driver's license, ending a marriage, or embracing singleness for a season, right? These are all beautiful, vulnerable moments where something is changing. And marking these moments together, being together in them and naming them, whether it's in our families, our home groups, or even in our weekly services, this says you're not alone. This, too, is a beautiful, sacred, human moment, and we are with you. And Christ is right in the middle of this moment with us. This kind of practice gives us a regular rhythm. It gives us guideposts that embody our belonging together at a common table of humanity. Okay, so sacred story is a rhythm that helps us hold meaning. Common table is a rhythm that helps us engage belonging and divine love, being animated by divine love. That's a rhythm that helps us to express creative goodness. To be honest, this I think is one of the hardest rhythms to pin down, uh, even while it occupies a really central position in Jesus' teaching and way caring for those in need, sharing generously, loving our neighbors and even our enemies. In a word, being animated by our own experience of of being loved so that our lives then overflow into care and goodness for those around us. I mean, this is so clearly the way of Jesus. 
This is why so many people, even if they have a problem with Christianity, have no problem with Jesus, because this way is so clearly good. I say that this is hard to pin down, this rhythm, not because this goodness is not happening. And I I think something happens here, right at this point of many sermons, where the shift is, you all aren't giving enough. You all aren't doing enough. You aren't loving enough, right? We should be doing more. But I think it's happening in so many varied ways among us already. Parents are overflowing with generous self-giving for their children. I mean, that's a lot of giving in and of itself. In our daily occupations, we are doing thoughtful and creative work that adds to the well-being of those whose lives are enriched by what your work creates. In our friendships and our families, we are sitting and giving generous listening and support that buoy up the hurting and the sick and the grieving. And so many more small, minute ways, all of us are constantly being expressions of divine love to one another. So I think the question for us here is simply, what regular rhythms help me to engage the world with my own self-giving creativity? And the answer might be, my job does. Or the answer might be, being a parent does. And maybe for some of us, we are searching for more ways to do this. Using our creativity to support and build up the community around us is one of the deepest ways to experience this truth. I'm good for others. I contribute goodness to this world. I matter. Part of the wisdom of the Christian tradition is to keep us aware that self-giving doesn't empty us, but it connects us. It helps us to know ourselves in interdependence with the world around us. It may be you've already found rich and good ways to contribute to the communal good of our community or city. Maybe this is a season of pulling back from you. You need some rest, and so you're stepping back for a time. Maybe this is a time where you are feeling invited to re-engage and explore how to contribute to the welfare of this place we call home. I think this rhythm in particular is going to look really different for each of us as we determine how we're invited to share our gifts and passions and time for the common good. So, sacred story, common table, divine love. Why be Christian? One answer, because the ancient Christian way holds many resources for rhythms that give us structure for meaning, belonging, and creative love. I think the invitation for each of us is to think about building a trellis for our own daily lives, to choose and incorporate the structures that hold us close to our sacred story, common table, and divine love. So my suggestion is that each of us take time to consider our own rule of life, our own regula, our own trellis. What rhythms help me find meaning in a world where creative love is the deepest reality? What rhythms help me build up a beloved community of belonging? And what rhythms help me engage the world with self-giving creative love? 
Over the years, I've led a lot of groups through an exercise of creating their own rule of life. And, you know, what's been helpful for people has been quite varied. For some people, and I'm one of them, what helps most is a clear structure, right? I'm going to do these things daily, these things weekly, these things seasonally, these things annually. Those are going to help orient me toward my values. I love a checklist. I love knowing I have to do something at 8 and then 9 and then 10 and then 11. I love structure. Love it. Some of you, that would be lethal. Uh, uh, some flourish with much looser structures. Uh, one woman that I know took this opportunity of doing this exercise. Of, she created a mood board. She clipped out pictures that reminded her of the things that brought her to life. And she put it somewhere. And when she was feeling kind of off, she would go to the mood board and be like, that one. you know. And then she would do that thing. Great. I, that, would, I, that would kill me. I can't do that. <laughs> But it helped her to deepen into experience of divine love, and she looked at it a few times a week to inspire spontaneous practices. Some of us will flourish in more communal practices where you're doing things with others. Some of us will flourish more in solitary structures. I think the really beautiful opportunity of this time, this time we inhabit in Christian history, is that we are getting to ask thoughtfully What habits really do help us to anchor into meaning and belonging and creative goodness? Christian history is full of wise and good answers to this question. Our community is full of people who have thought about this and found different answers. And I think it'd be so worthwhile for us to sit down together and brainstorm, what's working for you? What holds you in the way of Jesus? Some of our practices need to be dusted off and reclaimed. Some we probably need to radically update. Some we should let go of. The point is, we don't have to start from scratch. As a community rooted in the historical way of Jesus, we get the opportunity to rummage and to find what helps us embody our values today. And in so doing, you and I are part of this long process of redefining, renaming, and reclaiming the way of Jesus for the next 500 years. Let's pray. God, you lead us into good and wise ways. Help us to find rhythms of meaning, rhythms of belonging, and rhythms of creative love that sustain us for today. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.